Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We are finally ready to begin our preview of the 2023 college tennis season, a year that promises to deliver so much excitement. And starting next week, we're going to try to do our job in delivering some excitement to you college tennis fans out there. We are going to begin our countdown of our top 10 Division I men's and women's teams heading into the next college tennis season. Of course, we'll break down the rosters on each and every team, name our biggest questions about each squad heading into the year. And yes, of course, I'm not ducking it, folks. We will be offering our predictions for who we believe will be capturing the 2023 NCAA titles. Of course, before we can do all of that, though, we have to examine and discuss some of the lingering questions that remain heading into the 2023 season. Yes, we are recording this podcast on Wednesday, November 30th, but all of us veteran college tennis fans know a December Tony Bresky surprise is coming. There will be players who make the decision after the falls they've had on the pro tour to turn pro, forego their college eligibility. Of course, we're still wondering, might there be, again, additional spring ads to each and every roster. There are lingering questions we'd like to address here at Crack Rackets before we unveil that top 10. We want to reveal our thinking going into the season, where we stand on some of those questions, and just, again, I suppose, set the standard for what all of you can expect from an analysis standpoint during our top 10 preview. With that said, if I am going to address the many lingering questions in the college tennis world, I'm going to need some help. And so for the first time in this 2023 college tennis season, joining me on the show is truly a returning champion of returning champions here at Crack Rackets. Once upon a time, he was a top two listener on the Crack Rackets billboards. Of course, now he is a co-host of The Deciding Point, our weekly college tennis breakdowns. He also founded his own podcast in the offseason. You can read him at the No Ad No Problem blog, listen to him on the No Ad no problem podcast. I will say, having just recently gone on that show, it is far more professional than anything we do here at Crack Rackets. Of course, the man I am referring to joining me once again on this podcast is my dear friend, John Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It's time for the 2023 college tennis season. Are you excited, my friend? I'm extremely excited. Uh, I'm excited for this episode because I feel like I need to get all my thoughts out in the open. All of the assumptions and premises that are going to factor into our top 10 rankings. 
And let's be honest, I don't want to litigate the same questions over and over on those shows. We're going to get it all out in the open, agree what we're going to commit to. And I'm excited to hit the ground running these next few weeks, the top 10. It's always uh, before I was doing the podcast, always something I looked forward to. And now that I get to, to join you all excited to to preview and talk about the upcoming season so a quick behind the scenes look for all of you cracked rackets listeners tomorrow night and we're recording this podcast wednesday november 30th tomorrow night myself jay chris are going to finalize our crack rackets preseason top tens it is maybe my favorite phone call of the year things get funky the reason i bring it up i guarantee you chris won't listen to this podcast jay i also guarantee in the first I want to say six minutes of the conversation tomorrow night. He'll say, well, do we know if Draxel and Diallo are coming back? Like, do we know for sure? He'll probably say it in the first 10 minutes of the Kentucky podcast. We inevitably do as well. Yeah, I I really like the words you use there, premise. Here is the premise for our top 10. Here are the players we are assuming are showing up, are not showing up. Here's where things stand on a lot of those storylines. And again, if there are shakeups during the month of December, we will do our best to adjust accordingly. Of course, let's just say it now, the first of many times it'll be alluded to over the next month. Jay and I are still very scarred. I'm going to speak for you. Very, very scarred by our Pepperdine preseason number one podcast last year. That one, that hurts my inside still, Jay. You're shaking your head as if you disagree. I strongly disagree. <laughs> yeah. I, st- I stand by that podcast. The one that hurts me more is UCLA. We were far too high on UCLA last year. Uh, were we far too high or did I get talked into it? You see, oh. I'll throw you under the bus early. <laughs> you know, now I know how these things work. So I understand uh, how we need to be finagling these top tens, what we're looking for in these top tens. I get it. No, I stand by that Pepperdine podcast. I also stand by that if that NCAA quarterfinal happened outdoors, Patrick Leva doesn't get injured. Things could look very different in that 2022 NCAAs. Pieces were there. They just didn't get put together. No, let's be clear. No one was more correct about Oklahoma other than Audra Cohen than you last year, Jay. Like you, that take, dare I say, propelled you to superstardom in the college <laughs> tennis world. Um, I'm riding that take for a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's just a, that's a fantastic take, uh, obviously, for you to hang your hat on. And yeah, get ready for some serious throwing under the bus when things go awry this year. But no, it's just, again, to the best of our knowledge, we want to talk about what these rosters will look like in our preseason top 10. And again, in order to do that, we have to answer some of the lingering questions. So that's what Jay and I plan on doing here on today's show. Now, again, I apologize to some of you listeners, whether it be coaches, players, families of members of teams here, we will be doing some speculating. There will be some of you listening to this podcast who simply put, will know better than us at this point to the thinking of some of these decisions. That said, Jay and I have talked to plenty of people. Um, Certainly, we want to try and offer our informed takes on all of these situations. And with that in mind, Jay, let's get into our list. Here are the things we still don't know. Some of the questions that will be lingering and again I suppose we're establishing here's how we're going to be thinking about these questions heading into our preseason top 10 so Jay I open up the floor to you I think I know what the first one has to be but what are you going to go with well I think there's a a cast of characters particularly on the men's side 
And the open question is, will they return? Right. And the very top of that list is Gab Diallo at Kentucky, who has skyrocketed to 229 in the ATP rankings. And I feel like that is the big open question for Kentucky as they approach this upcoming season and try and defend their NCAA finals run. Gab Diallo will be a massive part of whether or not they defend that showing or take it one step further. Yeah, I I think it's not just Diallo. And I think it has to apply to Liam Draxel at this point as well. And look, let's start with the Diallo side of things, because what Gab Diallo did over the course of the past six months on the Pro Tour cannot be overstated how impressive it was. You look for Diallo over the course of the past six months. Not only did he win a challenger in Granby, but he made another final in Fairfield, multiple quarterfinals for him at the challenger level as he goes 23 and 10 overall. And to your point, 230 right now in the rankings he probably gets into Australian Open qualifying on his own. And you keep in mind that he didn't earn a single point this year until June 6th, which was at a 25K in East Lansing, an event, let's be clear, he won, and that sort of propelled everything we saw. But in the grand scheme of the point structure, being a top 300 player in the world, those points are going to be replaced by challenger points. And he has five months now of freedom on his calendar. He will more likely than not, he's got to win like three matches and he will be playing qualifying at the French Open as well. And the question for Gab, 6'7", you know, 21 years old, just turned 21, by the way, entering this season in college tennis. Does he feel ready for the 12-month grind that is professional tennis? Because obviously the big body he's still growing into, no one questions Gab Diallo physically just the fluidity for a guy that size, how easy it is for him to explode through the ball. The serve has clearly taken a leap forward over the course of this year. He has the weapons. He has the physicality to be successful. But of course, the more you are around professional tennis, the more you realize everyone can do those things physically. It's mentally. How do you handle the taxation of it all? You also have the fact that he's a 21-year-old kid who, with some of his best friends in the world, made an unexpected national final run last year. And if Diallo comes back, we'll get to the Draxel part in a second, but let's assume they all come back. Diallo, Draxel, you add in Alafia, you still have Lapidot. Now, are they a guy short? You know, Taha Badi, that's a conversation we can have uh, maybe during our top 10. But if you come back, you will be one of the favorites to at the very least reach that national championship again. And I think all of us can go back to our 21-year-old selves and say, yep, I want to do that more than anything in the world. That's the thing I've really been chasing these last four years. This pro stuff, a little unexpected. Kentucky was what it was all about. Boy, is that a tough decision. And like, again, the last part I have to mention here, if we're going to flush it all out, what's the Tennis Canada aspect of things? Does Tennis Canada look at his ranking and say, look, you have six free months to play with. We think if things go well, you know, May, June next year, you're in the main draw of the French Open, not in qualifying, the main draw. If you sustain, you know, if he's 23 and 10 over the next five months, he probably will be in the main draw of the French Open. We're ready to support you now. Here's the money. It's time for you to go. These are all realistic possibilities that Gab Diallo, by the way, has earned with his success. These are all a byproduct of success that should be celebrated, but it's a really tough decision. And boy, I just don't know how he doesn't turn pro, Jay. 
Yeah, well, the one part I would add on the Tennis Canada is we're coming off the heels of just winning Davis Cup. Yes. Right? He was one of the uh, members of the winning Davis Cup team there. You have to assume that these are the conversations that Tennis Canada is having with him as a member of the Davis Cup team. I think a lot of what you said is applicable for many of the people that we'll talk about in terms of the decision is often, I just had a good summer and fall, right? And I'm weighing the upside of playing a full pro schedule from January to May. And what does that pro upside look like for me? Diallo is a great example of this. Look, I think that upside is there. I think it's just the pull of trying to defend and and maybe feeling like he's letting down his Kentucky team, right? Because he knows that if he does come back, they are one of the favorites to win the NCAA title. In absence of that, and I would bundle he and Draxel there, but if Diallo doesn't come back, they definitely fall down in that in that realm of possibilities, which is why it's kind of the number one key question here. So I would definitely lean towards going pro. I think that that upside is uh, too high at this point in terms of the uh, ranking points that he could get, continuing to develop his game, the funding I assume Tennis Canada would be willing to provide, or the resources that he has recently connected with from these opportunities at Tennis Canada. So I would say it's more likely than not we don't see him back in the spring. Yeah, I think these are all really good points. And I do expect, I mean, here's the other thing. And it's just a little thing. Again, assuming everyone comes back, Diallo has to be number one, right? Like, he, you know, because Draxel's been the guy the past couple of years. And if they're all back, I think, I mean, maybe they it's a platoon system and they all get a shot. Maybe even you throw Alafia in at times. But, like, I mean, Gab's been that good. And, again, it's not just pro success. You mentioned it, a good fall. There are people who have had future success that I'm sure we'll talk about on this list. Diallo didn't just win a challenger. He made multiple challenger finals. He's in Australian Open qualifying. Doesn't he have to go play that in January? Like, how do you pass that up? Five free months to play with. Like, that. that's what I keep coming back to where it's like if you – even if you go 500 over those top – over those five, first five months, you're a top 200 player now. And that just sets up the start of your pro career, which is probably coming in May no matter what. If you want to best position yourself for May – and I love Cedric. I love Matt. I love what they've built. They're still going to be really good. But I think he probably has to go – and then the Draxel question. Look, I hate speculating about things, but it's just too open now where it's very clear there's an issue with his visa and there is an immigration problem. And they're, you know, God willing, it's 2022. We have to be able to figure this out. I promise you, whatever immigration issue Liam Draxel had, there was no mal intent in anything that he did. This is just a college kid who wants to come back to school and compete for his roster. And look, he's 526 in the world as well, um, which isn't the worst pro ranking to have with, again, five free months to play with. But I think Draxel would come back. The question is, will he be able to come back? And like, again, if you get Kentucky with Diallo, with Draxel, Alafia, Lapidot, Body. You ride with that five against any team in the country, and you're feeling good, regardless of what six is, regardless of what doubles is. No slight to J.J. Mercer. What's our modus operandi, Jay? What do we want to say about these two going into our top ten? What are what are your inclinations? 
my my inclination my is that we do not see Diallo, but we do see Draxel back. Yeah, but I might extend a more consistent principle. So let me before we dive into the rest of these, like I'm wondering if it's like if they're on the roster, do we keep them on for our top ten? I think. Or do yes. we go? Okay, so we or do we piecemeal it together and say like because then we'd be cherry picking, right? We'd say we think Diallo's leaving, so we don't include him. So basically, if you're on the roster right now, when we do our top 10, you're included. Yes. And are they both on the roster right now? They're both on the roster right now. Then I think we're going to include them both. I think that's the fair decision for us to make. Fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. And if we hear otherwise, by the way, we will probably be able to amend Kentucky because I imagine they're going to be near the top of the list and we'll have a few weeks to see what we hear and don't hear on both Diallo and Draxel moving forward. All right. Next up on your list, Jay, what you got? Well, do you want to stick with the men or do you want to – how do you want to move around? You are a co-pilot of these college (laughs) tennis episodes, Jay. You get to decide those things. Well, let's – okay, so we we chatted about Diallo and Draxel. Let's talk about two other men who – Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to – this is – leave it all in, West stuff. This is how it works here at the show. You guys should see the face Jay is making at me. Can we go to the next big question, which has to be – and no one has done a better job of covering this than you – We have to talk about Diana Schneider because what she has done over the past month even on the WTA and ITF tours has been nothing short of absolutely remarkable. And, you know, again, when you look for Schneider to have, you know, not only win a pro event but to do it in the fashion that she did and just – you know, again, be on the precipice. What is Schneider ranked right now? I want to say that's 109. 109. Yeah, like 109 in the live rankings. And, you know, for Schneider, who uh, had had some success, certainly in the junior level, like, no, well, she was no doubt about two that. Junior yeah, in the exactly. World. Exactly. She was a top 10 junior in the world. You beat me to it. Um, obviously, we knew how good she might be, but to see her have this degree of success so quickly and again to win a 125k and not drop a set on her way to the title 109 in the world now you look for Schneider in terms of what rankings points she has to defend to start the season there's not not really a ton uh, for her like again things are pretty open for Schneider right now Jay what what are you feeling in terms of you know her uh, yeah again 18 years old 109 in the world i have it in front of me now finally had a bunch of 25k success through the month of april but 25k points are easy to replace when you're ranked 109 in the world that's a couple of first round wins at the 125k level and those opportunities are now going to be open to her you know all of her success down the home stretch of the season came on clay but she had a lot of hard court success at lower level events during the year as well Ish, like 109 in the world. We talked about this with Diallo. He's 230. Schneider's 109. Yeah. And I remember when she committed to NC State, she was 248 in the world. And that was yeah. like, whoa, that was a big deal because, you know, just this past season when Emma Navarro broke into the top 200 while still playing college tennis, that was a big deal and felt like, hey, that was a big barrier to be broken. So even when she committed, you know, there were questions about, okay, what, you know, what is she thinking here? And I, you know, Colette Lewis did some really good reporting and talked to her at the U S open and Diana Schneider shared kind of some of the concerns that she had being Russian and the challenges that she thought she might face on travel restrictions in playing a 
pro schedule and also wanting to have kind of a home base here in the U.S. Now, that makes some sense, but makes a lot less sense when you're ranked 109 in the world and could maybe be sneaking into the Australian Open main draw. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's Diallo times 10 here, right? I mean, she is, uh, you know, now a top 10 Russian player in the world. I don't know if she'll get any support from that federation. But I, I think you mentioned some of the visa issues that those are certainly at play here and are a factor in whether or not she decides to continue to play at NC State. But again, this is a, a trade-off and it's interesting I've heard just such mixed reactions. People are speculating significantly on whether or not she will play. And the reason why it's of interest to us is one, well, we haven't had someone who's been ranked 109 in the world playing college tennis in quite some time, but two, it is pivotal to NC state's success here, right? When you have, you know, an Emma Navarro type player, Peyton Stearns, who's going to win at number one. Absolutely they become a national title contender, right? So that's why it's of interest here, why we're talking about it in prep for the top 10 rankings. People are super mixed on whether or not she will come back. I'm curious to where you think this will land. Well, I think the the reason why I wanted to cut you off and get into this one right away is, you know, and we talk about this in relation to the pros as well, the most significant leap you can make is from very good to title contender or elite of the elite. And you look for NC State right now, and for what it's worth, roster rule, Diana Schneider is on the roster. So I think for our purposes, she should be included in the top 10 preseason rankings. But let's exclude her for the sake of this conversation. Even without Diana Schneider, Alana Smith back and healthy. She looked pretty good in the fall. If she's even 90% of what she was in 2021 by the time we get to May, that is not a player you want to trifle with. Rejecki, Renchelli, Miller, Abrams, we saw what all of them could do in the middle of the lineup last season. They're just one season more experienced now. If you have Prisca Negroho still on this roster, woo-wee! Like now we're really talking. But here's the thing. In lieu of Negroho, no disrespect to Gina Dittman, Chloe Henderson, we know this five is really good. That's a top 10 team on its own, right? That five, that nucleus is going to factor in our top 10. You throw Schneider into that mix, and that's your six locked in right there. That makes that leap from very good to the point you made of, no, 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 that's a title contending six. There is not a weak spot in that lineup. And that's not to say that there's also not weak spots in other teams' lineups, which again, we will get into in our preseason top tens. But if that's your six, you add Schneider to that mix as the sixth, like you're right. That's that's the difference, right? Is it goes from a really good team to a, no, this is an unequivocal title contender, which they may still be otherwise, but with Schneider, there's even less doubt. Yeah. They're not a title contender without Schneider. I think we disagree on that, but if they have her, I don't know. You put Dittman in the system for like four months. Who knows what happens? She, uh, there are some really good teams this year. Yeah, uh, but with Schneider, they're up 2-0 in every match. They're going to win doubles, and they're going to win at one. And well, look, one oh nine versus college Fiona Crawley. I'll tell you what. If that match is in Chapel Hill, 
No, I, I see your point, though. Sorry, I'm just being difficult. Go on. Yeah. They are going to be up 2-0 in every match <laughs> yeah. unless they have a disaster performance in doubles, right? Or something happens. But you have Miller and Rejecki, you know, they won the All-Americans and you put, you know, uh, Diana Schneider in doubles with anyone. I think they're going to go up 2-0. That becomes a very difficult team to beat. So, yeah, I mean, roster rule, she's on there. And look, that's going to be a really fun ride for us as fans to have such an elite player competing at the collegiate level. And I would ask Jay if he thinks Schneider on the team makes them the preseason number one. But guess what, folks? That's what you will start find out starting with our countdown next week. So a little bit of patience is what we're asking for. Okay, those I think are the two big ones, right? Schneider at 109, Diallo at one, 230, those are the, or 229. Those are the two you certainly have to flush out before the season starts. Where does your brain go next, Jay? Well, now I know where your brain is going. So the the number three for me. It is only probably, took 24 minutes. That's good. Or more like a year and a half. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I this is not where you would go, but this is where I would go. My is actually to Alexandra Vekic at Georgia. And the reason why I bring her up is she is on the roster at Georgia. She was top 400 in the WTA rankings. She recently made a 25K final lost, you know, deep in the third to Peyton Stearns. If she plays for Georgia, they become a national title contender because they have a very strong number one. They have Leah Ma, who is playing excellent tennis. They have Vidmanova and Riasco, who were excellent for Georgia at, you know, two and three and had to step up to one and two once Leah Ma departed at the end of last season. You're talking... You know, Hertel, Kowalski, Lopata as a freshman who has beaten the likes of, um, you know, Noel of Miami. That is a very dangerous top six who can compete line for line against pretty much any team in the country. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So... I want to get into the veteran side of things in a second. Leah Mob just being in a fall roster. Like, I know we talked about this in the moment, but like when she wasn't playing for NCAAs, it really did feel like her college tennis career was over. And yeah. it just, that's not how you want things to end. So, shout out to whatever changed. College tennis is a better place with Leah Ma in it. And you're absolutely right. Getting her back, you already knew the core of her, Riasco, Viedmanova, Meg Kowalski, just as a four, really, really good. You mentioned Hurdle last year who was able to fill in whenever needed. Grant got a lot of match experience at the end of last year's, as did Narundorn. I was going to say, yeah, they have depth unlike any other team in the country. Well, North Carolina uh, just called and they would like no, a conversation. North Carolina does not have as good a number eight. Do we know that? Like, we'll never see the eight. So, what if what if Harvey has just been like grinding, and it's like Har- actually, or who am I? Well, Harvey maybe not. Harvey's off the team. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Lindsay Zink. <laughs> That's what I meant. I said Harvey. I meant Zink. Thank you. Yeah, uh, has just been grinding. Um, no one, no one has an eight as good as uh, Georgia. I'm trying to think now. How can I disprove? That's not true. The the 
soon to be named player. It'll probably be like I'm trying to think who's it'll one of the Fruvertovas. Like Brenda's <laughs> going to get a quick two years in at Pepperdine, so just be on the lookout, and she'll end up. Uh, well, they only have six, so she's seven. Yeah, no, they'll get both. Um, oh, both. And then, okay. Yeah, then whoever six is now becomes eight. Um, no. You're absolutely right because you look for uh, Vecic who 18 and 13 this year on the pro tour for the 20-year-old. She, uh, to your point, semifinals of a 25K in Cancun and, you know, uh, finals in Florence where she lost in three sets to Peyton Stearns. Good win over Maria Mateus, former Duke standout there. The best part about it is she doesn't have to play one. She doesn't have she to play yeah. two. She doesn't have to play three. They can figure out on the right day, hey, what do you top four look like? Because you're all really good options in any of these spots. And the lower the, you play, the better you, we feel. And by the way, I love you, Andrew Fenty. I'm just going to use you for this example. There are times with Fenty where you feel like he's just as likely to win at one as he is at five. and he, Or I should say he's just as likely to lose at one as he is at five. I don't feel that way about Villanova, Riasco, or Ma. I feel like they all – I feel pretty good about all of them in yeah. all of the spots. And that's where you can just allow her as a freshman to work her way onto the roster. And if she's that good, maybe she does push one of the bigger three down the roster. And by the way, if Kowalski's at five, you just like that recipe right away. You're just like – you feel really good about that spot. And then whomever's at six, you feel fine about um, – even without her, they're still very good. But you're totally. right. This is probably an NC, even a better version of the NC State issue. I think there are very similar comps. Different match calculus in terms of who you might be bringing in. Although, for all we know, Vekic is one of the top players. But, you know, with these two players, absolutely a title contender. Without, still a top 10 team. Unknown where in, in that pecking order. Very fair. All right. I keep I like working off your list. This is fun for me. So let's just keep doing it. Where's your brain going next? Well, so I'll share where my how my brain is thinking right now. Mine is going of like impact to like the team's uh, potential. And so my brain is going next to Jack Pennington Jones. We went the same place. Six. So Jack Pennington Jones, uh, top ITF junior in the world. Um, I don't know his ATP ranking off the top of my head, but I think top 500 ATP on the TCU roster right now did not play any fall collegiate events, uh, potentially having eligibility issues. This is a player who, you know, TCU is coming off of arguably their best season in program history, right? They won the ITA indoors. He could come in and slot in at one or two to give them the depth that they need to continue to make a similar run as to one that they made last year in the same vein of a Schneider or a Vekic without JPJ, you feel like TCU might be one, two men short from making a similar run as last year. See, I agree with the structure of your argument. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it's, it's impactful. Like, you're right. It does take them over the hump. That said, I still really like TCU's floor, even without him. I mean, you bring back Famba, Fernley, Jong, uh, Maxted, and Vivez both were very encouraging in their first year. Obviously, Thomas Jirasek, when he's in the bottom of your lineup, he you feel pretty confident he can compete with anyone. Of course, Seb Gorsny coming in off of the junior Wimbledon title. 
if he's a bottom of the lineup option, again, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But you're absolutely right. If you can bring in a guy like Jack Pennington Jones, who has two futures titles, was ranked as high as 489 earlier this year. You know, he won matches at the Las Vegas Challenger, a three-set win over Vashik Pospisil, played Riffis tight three sets in Fayetteville earlier this year, and just, you know, win over Paul Jubb back in February. If you can bring in that guy and he's a top three contributor even, and you're just like, you know what, Famba's still at one. We're going to slide Jones in at two. Now John can continue to play at three where we know how good he can be. And then again, it's the Vives, Maxted, Gorsny, Jirasek, depth for TCU at the bottom. You're right. That probably does take him over the hump. I will share one anecdote, and people are going to remain nameless. But I have had someone tell me, and this sentiment was reinforced that there is a coach who will die before seeing Jack Pennington Jones eligible this season. And the reason that sentiment was expressed is, look, Jack's really good, but he was signed by an agent. There is no like if, ands, or buts about it. Jack Pennington Jones at one point had signed with an agent and intended on turning pro. Now, if you're asking me, is that bullshit that – A kid who thought he was going to turn pro decided, no, actually, I don't think I'm ready. I'd like to go to college instead, and that's going to be held against him. I think that's absolutely asinine. Like, what are we doing? Do we want people to succeed in life? Like, I understand the spirit of competition, but it's not like he's 25 and was like, no, 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 no. I mean, no disrespect to Karimov at Wake Forest. It's You know what I mean? It's not like he was – He had tried for 12 years on the pro tour. It didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to go play college tennis. No, that wasn't the case. This is a kid who's still a freaking teenager, and he's having that held against him. I think it's asinine. I do worry, though, that he's not going to be eligible this year because, again, he was signed. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was signed. Yeah, I mean, I share your sentiment. Uh, completely right. Particularly in the age where you have these NIL collectives who are just funneling money to these players. I mean, the amount of money, I have no idea what his signing looked like, but like, you gotta be kidding me at this point when athletes are getting this, you know, NIL collective money, I know it's not as common in tennis, but like it could be, it's ridiculous. So huge plus one to your sentiment. And I'll, I'll share this, uh, across the board, I hope every single one of these players is eligible. I hope every single one of them comes back. That is what I would love to see. But, you know, there are circumstances that are different for all of these players. With that said, like, you hear such vehement uh, arguments about eligibility that turn out to be totally debunked. Like, the amount of times I feel like one coach says there's no way player X is going to be eligible, and player X shows up at school, Y, eligible. I mean, these things do happen. So I'm really glad you say that because, again, A, he's on the roster. He's going to factor. We think he's playing in our twenty uh, top 10 2023 preseason rankings. B, have you met David Roditi? Like, do you not think he thought about these things before saying, hey, here's a spot. Here's X amount of scholarship dollars. We are planning to have you on the team this year. That's why I agree. Like, I'm not ready to just cross him off because I think David Rotiti has earned the benefit of the doubt to say, if I think this guy, I can get him eligible, then it's going to happen, right? Like, I'm just not willing to write it off yet. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. You're not going to go through the song and dance, bring someone on campus, take them through the photo shoots for all if you know they're not going to be eligible. But with that said, things do come up, right? You often hear about compliance issues that are unexpected that do come up that do cause a wrench and stuff. That's why you see some of the uh, you know, lighter schedules earlier in the year, particularly like the Wake Forest men, they might need to play a few matches to have someone sit out until they're eligible. So, um, you know, overall, I think, um, you know, we'll have to see, but he's on the roster. Uh, again, I, I hope he plays. Um, he seems engaged in college tennis. I, I, I look forward to seeing him play. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, next up, who you got? Well, you're changing things on me. Uh, <laughs> I So in terms of uh, impact to team success, I think you have to go with Johannes Monday at Tennessee. I'll be honest. I have not heard any of these rumors that you have referenced about Monday coming back. He did not play the fall. He played, you know, pro events over in Europe, in Sweden, you know, had some decent success there. Johannes Monday will be number one for Tennessee if he does come back. And with the likes of Blaze McNell being eligible, Shinsuke Mitsui playing well this fall, Emil Hud, that's a really solid top four. And then they've got about 20 other guys who can play five and six on that roster right now. So they have the pieces. Without Monday, they just don't have the firepower at the top of that roster to compete with the likes of other teams in the SEC. So that's a pretty big inflection point for uh, the Volunteers. Yeah, uh, he's a big gun. I think him and I'm going to lump some guys together because I think they're in a similar category of both Arthur Ferry from Stanford as well as Johannes Monday, where, you know, Johannes had a really good fall. He's up to the top five, you know, or 554, it says right now on your sheet in the world. Look, a big lefty. People have always liked his pro upside and to have the success he did, again, to have the clean fall to pl- uh, spring to play with. He was pretty injured last year during the college season. Is he just kind of, you know, that experience, the Walton generation to go through with that crew, was that enough for him? And he's ready to start his pro career. But look, Johannes Monday also loves being at Tennessee and loves the college student aspect. He's involved in so many different leadership committees and just ingrained in the campus. And look, he's still on the roster. And how Tennessee has scholarship money for everyone. How many licks are there to get to the center of the Tootsie Pop? Two things the world will never know. But well, I that's think they, probably but why I th- he took the fall off. Oh, 100%. And that said, I like again, Woodruff, Mackay, they're smart enough to figure it out. I, I think they did. I You're right. Like This team is extraordinarily deep. And I think you didn't mention Kent Hunter. That's another guy who was really good for LSU last year who, if he's going to be in the bottom half of your lineup, if it's a Monday, Mitsui, you know, Bicknell, Hunter, HUD, top five, you feel really good about that. No disrespect to Harper, who hopefully will be healthy. Prada, who hopefully will be healthy. Even Boris Kozlov, who obviously was pretty solid at the bottom of the lineup for LSU. But Monday's their big gun. Monday's their big serving lefty who on the right day is just going to beat whoever is across the net from him because he served well. And he takes them to that next level. I think Ferry is in that category as well because if you bring back Arthur Ferry to Stanford and, you know, again, it sounds like he will be back for the Cardinal. You can probably speak on this better than I can. But the prospect of Bosforetti playing two singles, the prospect of, you know, 
Basing playing three singles, the prospect of Banerjee now, a former junior Wimbledon champion, at four singles, and then maybe the lack of elite depth for Stanford is alleviated by that elite of the elite. You feel like you have four guys who could win at number one, top four. It just makes Stanford jump a level in terms of contendership, right? Oh, absolutely. They they need him yeah. to contend in the uh, top of uh, of the rankings this year. Can I give you a quick analogy because it popped to my head? 2019 UCLA. Cressy, Smith, Nanda. They were winning all of their matches, and when they won the doubles point, they won the big matches, but it ultimately bit them against Baylor when the margin of error was just too thin in the round of 16. Bosforetti, Basing, and Banerjee, in theory, have the prospect to offer you that same sort of elite top three. But if you add Ferry into the mix, again, it just opens up all sort of match calculi for you. Yeah, I mean, stock is down on Banerjee right now, so sure. I, I don't know really? about, about that. But yeah, big down on – big sell on that one. Um but look, they ha- that top three is elite, right? Ferry, Bassa-Veretti, and Basing. And it feels more similar to Kentucky in that way. Like, they weren't going to win at six. Mm. Kentucky wasn't going to win at six last year. You can give up six. Uh, but that's hard to do. I mean, the, all of these teams have excellent one, twos, and threes. You do win championships at four, five, and six. And, you know, so Stanford, again, Ferry helps them be a top 10 contender. Else... Be, could be another struggle year for Stanford. Well, it also just gives them a much more definitive top three. It's just like if I have Ferry, Banerjee, and Basing, we can actually win the top three against any opponent. Like that top three, yeah. I don't care if it's Von der Schulenberg, Montez, Rodesh. I don't care if it's Maloney, Fenty, Styler. I don't care, you know, who it is. Yeah. Um, that top yeah. three is that good. Yeah. I asked uh, Ethan this Is Stanford's top three a top three, top three in the country? Yes, it is a top yeah. three, top three. I, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And so, um, no, I, I think they're fascinating. And I think they're two players that do fall into the same category, right, of they're the big guns who if they're, you know, if they're around for the roster for Tennessee, it means maybe now you are a title contender for Stanford. Certainly it means you're a title contender in the Pac-12. Yeah. All right. Where do you want to go next? Again, I I think we've gotten to a lot of the big ones. Now we can sort of nerd out a little bit. What else do you have left? Well, I have news, I guess, because we have someone who is now no longer on the roster. Uh Uh-oh. And that is Abdullah Shelby of Florida. Okay. Who was a freshman last season, uh, did not crack the top six in singles regularly, uh, had a strong fall campaign you know, made it deep in, in a challenger. Uh, He is now no longer on the Florida roster. This was one I might've violated our roster rule for. (laughs) He has been on the roster throughout the fall. He wiped his Instagram of Florida content. I thought that was a pretty big tell. So he will not be returning for Florida in the spring. So you say that, and I agree with you, and that'll be our modus operandi in our top 10. But here's what I want to say. I was talking to someone connected with the Florida program, and Mm -hmm. I sort of inferred the notion that we all have that he's not coming back. And someone seemed to infer, ah, like, are you sure? Like, are you sure that's still the plan? Because things might have changed. Now, 
I don't think things changed, but I'm just saying I went from 98% sure to like 72 after my conversation with this person. And I didn't like, like, they were still like, no, you're probably right, but you're less right than you were in October. But don't you think the roster removal is quite the tell? Well, they added the two kids from Poland as well, right, later on. And so you just feel like that's filling in the roster, you know, late, just being like, we have the scholarship money now. Am I wrong? Didn't they add the two kids late? Right. So isn't that? No, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying yes, I agree with you. Also, do you want a spicy take I've been nursing? And we might have talked. I I forget who I was talking about this with earlier. It's an open question, not in terms of like it impacts this season or our preseason top 10, but I just want to start floating this out there now to say we were there first. I would say – and this is purely speculation. I want to be clear. I think this is Brian Shelton's last year at Florida. I think the opportunity to travel with your son, who will very likely be top, certainly top 100, if not top 75, top 50 maybe by the end of the season. And you just saw like Coach Shelton was in Champaign with Ben during the Champagne Challenger at the end of November. And to be traveling with your son as a former professional tennis player yourself, to get to see him experience all the things you got to experience to help him improve along the way, the calming demeanor Brian brings to the sideline of every Ben match. How could Ben not want that at his side? He's still training in Gainesville this offseason to be close to that atmosphere my spicy open question to you, is this Brian Shelton's last season? I think it might be. Like, I think that Florida job, actually, I just like the opportunity. And again, uh, this isn't criticism. Like, as a, I mean, I'm not a dad. I almost said as a dad. But as someone who could understand the perspective of that father, like, how could you not want to do that? And so I like, that's my open question. Is this Brian's last year? I think the answer might be yes. Because, I mean, he's won a title for both the men and the women. Like, he has done everything you need to do as a college coach. I think he's going to go travel with his son and enjoy that experience. I would agree with that. In my mind, this is how things played out. People can tell me if I'm wrong or not. In my mind, this has kind of been the plan. However, what was a wrinkle in the plan was Ben's rapid rise and actually turning pro as early as they thought. In my mind, that happened in advance, and he made the decision to turn pro, you know, later on in, you know, U.S. Open, like a little late for Shelton to say, like, I'm I'm ditching the program. Now it would be great to go to Australia with his son, absolutely, and serve that role. But, you know, you play out the, the spring season, and then in May you, you know, join – Ben uh, on tour. Yeah. So I, 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 I agree. I don't want to get ahead of it because he hasn't left the job yet, but it's like, would it be Clore? Would it be someone else? Um, well, that's why you, I mean, that's why you, uh, I question Stump's departure. Yeah, but go listen to the cracked interviews and you can I did. Hear, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're right. It's like, boy, does Tanner come back after he's like, wait, wait, wait. If I get to be the head coach at Florida. Right. A whole different well, ball game. If you're the head coach and you can send, you know, the associate head coach on those European recruiting trips, like things might be a little different in the family life. It's um, just it's just, it's the thing I'm watching most closely because I think again, if that job opens, I don't know if it's an unequivocal top ten job, but it's a job you would want. 
like who wouldn't want to be the head coach at Florida? Um, so just something to keep an eye on. Uh, all right. I think again, I think we've only got a few more left. Who you got for me? Well, I want to go to a, a, a group of people. And for me that that's the Texas freshman and Nicole Rivkin, Nicole Kieran, both, you know, top uh, ITF juniors, you know, top 500 in the WTA rankings. Uh, Kieran is uh, Rivkin, I think is, you know, top 800. We did not see them play at all in the fall. And you're looking at a Texas team who has now won back-to-back NCAA team titles, both of which had some sense of, of roster turnover. And now you're looking at a team wondering if they can do a three-peat with a whole bunch of different pieces, right? They have these two freshmen. They have two transfers in Marley Zane of Florida and Patch Galeva of Pepperdine. It's a whole new cast of characters, and we have no sense of where Rivkin and Nicole Kieran stack up against collegiate level. Makes it really tricky, at least in my mind, to figure out where you slot in the two-time defending national champion. I am so excited to see this Texas team because, obviously, the you know Stern's gone, Tarati's gone, Collins gone. It's it's a new. It really does feel like a new. Uh, I'm blank. Uvrutskis. No, who who the, both Zamaripas. Zamaripas. Thank you. Um, both gone. And yet they're still probably going to be pretty good. Like it's it's and it's just like oh, yeah. the confidence of that program right now that Shavatapan brings back, that Rapalu brings back, that all you know Vrutsky brings back as well. They're the two-time defending champs. Like it's their title till someone beats them. And the again the freeness with which they've played these past two NCAA tournaments, I think it's a good list. I think the obvious one. I'll just throw this name out there because while we're on this topic, I mean if Brant Meyer plays for North Carolina. That might be the best top seven, dare I say, we've seen in college tennis history. Like that top seven from a depth perspective. Again, maybe the best names. There are some Stanford teams that would like to have a conversation with what I just said. But like Crawley, Scotty, Tran, Tangillig, Yarlagata, Brantmeyer. I'm missing one name. Abby Forbes. Abby Forbes. Duh, the last name on the list. If that's your seven, I mean like. Who are you not playing? Like, that is the ultimate question because with the fall Yarlagata had, doesn't she have to play six over Tran at this point? Because you're you're not benching Crawley. You're not benching Scotty. Forbes and Tangillig made quarterfinals or further. So, I mean, Scotty will take some matches off. So I see it in your face. Is that the answer? Yes, that's what I was saying. Is like, Scotty takes some matches off. Other people take some matches off. You rotate through. But at the end of the day. Who plays where? Well, that's a different question. I mean, the reason Brantmeyer, you know, we should say, has not played a a fall match, right? Has played pro matches, but didn't play in college. Played pro matches, which is, okay, so it's not an injury. Okay, um, so she's she's out for other reasons, you know. What? Okay, you bring her in. I mean, it's just like embarrassment of riches at that point, right? Because you could already have a top six of, you know, all the players you just mentioned without Brantmeyer, and that's still probably the best roster in the country. You add in Brantmeyer, the number one U.S. recruit. You know, the rich get richer. Yeah. No. Well, very well said. Um, all right. With that in mind. 
I would say we've got like the last two I see on your list, Boitan Rodriguez, who fall in similar uh, questions. I think we saw Parson announce Adrian turn pro. He's training in Fayetteville with Brian Boland. I'm very certain he's not coming back, um, although he was there to get the Big 12 rings. So maybe being on campus again inspired something. He does have a year of eligibility remaining, as does Daniel Rodriguez, who I know South Carolina wants back. Uh, but again, for both of these names, neither's on the roster. I would also lean no in both scenarios. Where are you with them? Yeah, I mean, roster rule, not in the roster. But the reason I have them here is they've both really struggled on the pro tour right now. And, you know, do you go back for potentially uh, uh, another run? But, uh, you know, it's they're not on the Shelton Diallo track. I'll just say that. Yeah, I, I think that's very well said. Um, again, I would not expect either to come back, but you never know until you know. Last wild card I throw at you, Wake Forest has 12 players on the roster right now, and yet I still feel like I don't know who's going to be playing for Wake Forest this year. And it's funny because it's a lot of familiar faces, right? Like Estafalu, still back. Maroney, he's back. You have uh, Karamov back for another year as well. But then a ton of unknowns like Tachi's been on the roster for a while. It feels like we have never really seen him play. They've got a bunch of freshmen who freshmen who have various pro or junior experiences. Like this is the first time in the, in the crack rackets podcasting era where I have no idea what a Tony Bresky roster is going to be, what it's going to look like. Like, I don't think they can be preseason top 10. I mean, are they even preseason top twenty-five? No, that's I have no idea. <laughs> like, uh, like, that's I mean, what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, they have those three names, and that's what am it. I missing? Right. Uh, yeah, we're. I mean, we're we're missing whoever comes in in January. That's clear. But yeah, I, I asked the same question a few weeks ago of just who on earth is playing four, five, and six for this for this team. I have no idea. Is it going to be Alcaraz? Is it going to give him like four? He's going to be like, look. Just free wild cards into Winston-Salem. Come give me five months. It'll be worth it. Yeah, I mean, the the track record's getting a little dicey. You know, I think Karamov really struggled adjusting to collegiate play last year. Did not come in as the Alcaraz of college tennis, huh. uh, like I think some people were expecting. So we'll have to see who comes in in January. But this is quite the hodgepodge of players. I know. It's just it's the first time in a long time I've had a question about a Tony Bresky roster. So it's just something I had my eye on. But with that in mind, that's all I got. You got anything else for me? Any final lingering questions? No. Are you good with roster rule? I'll give you a day to think about it. No. I love that rule. I don't need a day. I'm, I actually really like that rule. If you're on the roster, we're including you because that's the information you're presenting to the public. So yep. if we're wrong, we are blame. We have an easy scapegoat in yeah. the school. So Exactly. Then we don't have to say, well, I have some information. You know, yeah. I heard this. I mean, look, it's on the roster. This is what we're going with. Let me say that. Coaches, if you listen to this. Players, if you listen to this. DMs are always open. You know where to find Jay and I at JTweetsTennis at AL Gruskin. Speaking of which, Jay, no ad, no problem. What's coming up over the course of the next couple of months? What can we expect from you? Well, you've got me for the next few months. I know. The truth is we've got you booked. So I'll say what's expected from you. We're going to get you on our top 10 previews. You're going to be writing every Wednesday for us as well. Jay and I discuss some of the biggest storylines heading into the year. My fingers don't work as well as they once did, but I'm going to try and offer some insight in some of those articles as well. And again, 
we got a lot of fun planned for this 2023 college tennis season. Buckle up, folks. Myself, Chris Halioris will be joining us, obviously, throughout our previews as well. We're ready to rock and roll here at Cracked Rackets. And, of course, a shout-out, as always, to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, for the fantastic John Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. These are the things we still don't know heading into the 2023 college tennis season, but we will be ready to preview them all next week. In the meantime, Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thank you as always, my friend. 